Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today on WYPR. And we're t- we're doing what we promised last week, and uh-huh. We are doing comfort food American style. Yes. Good topic. Well, Fun. It's, an eno- it's an enormous topic. I don't we'll have to see. I I thought that because you know our our nation's so incredibly diverse people's backgrounds and experiences are so diverse, what we're going to get as far as people calling us, and you can join us, 410-662-8780. What is comfort food to you? What, uh, what does that mean? What does it look like? Is it based on your family's background? Is it based on where you grew up? Is it just based on some dish you ran into that made you happy? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is dying to be consumed on your sofa? <laughs> I, you know that that's that I'm I'm just curious that yeah because I know what works for me right that's different than what works <clears throat> for you and Lord sure. knows well we all have different backgrounds which is what's so yeah. wonderful so or yeah you can you can email us formanwolf at wypr dot org if you're bashful for the radio <laughs> and uh, or call us four ten six six two eight seven eight zero so when when I asked about this topic now we spent a lot of time last week on on dishes that are that are French driven or dishes that are traditional Italian dishes mm-hmm. from different regions of Italy. So we can sort of check that box for you, the the American kid, the kid that was born in the South, grew up in Pennsylvania and in Indiana. What what is your comfort food? What's top of your list? You're having a bad day, you just need food. Oh, my mom used to I, I will never forget this because my brothers my brother and my sisters were much older than me. So I was at home a lot alone when I was a little kid and with my mom, I mean. And um, so I always remember those, that being a very, I also had a sister that passed away when I was six years old. So it was a very special time in my life that I got to have the attention of my mom. And um, at lunch, I remember she would, we would have had roast beef the night before and she would, thinly slice it and warm it up with the, basically in the gravy that she made the night before from the pan drippings and serve that over a piece of soft bread. And I mean, I never ever wanted to actually eat the meat. I always just wanted that bread and that gravy, but of course (laughs) she made me eat the meat um, because it was good for me. But um, I, I mean, I will never forget those moments because one, it was healing for me as a child who had gone through a very sad thing. And two, it was a very special moment alone with my mother. Um, and of course, I love my brother and my sister and enjoyed when they were there too. But you know how it is. When you get all the attention, it's it's pretty special. It's, so It's nice to be an only child. That's why every first child is always a little bit of an only child inside. <laughs> yeah, and then they wish they were an only child so speak sometimes of, later on. Say being Tony Foreman. Being, being, sorry, being the first child. I almost said being the only child. Being no, the first you child weren't. No. <laughs> right. What about you? Oh, I mean, that's for me. It's it's funny because it goes also right to family. Uh, my great grandmother, we called Nanny, who, uh, grew up in Eastern North Carolina. Her fried chicken. That was mm. that. That's that's the thing. You 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 knew it. Uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, you you went for 
uh, for dinner. And dinner was three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, just right. like Very anyone southern. from like the rural south. That mm-hmm. The big meal is, you know, you're inside from, from the heat and got, can relax a little bit afterwards before you have to do other things. And she would start it in the morning. And her, her chicken, she would have fried in advance. And it's not a million miles away from what you like to do or, you know, what we've done in some of the restaurants over the years. It's, you know, cornmeal, flour, uh, cayenne. You can play around with other things, but those are the, you know, salt and, and, uh, and she always pan fried, but it was a deep pan fry. It was a, you know, sure. a giant skillet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yum. Uh, same skillet that she literally left North Carolina with. Wow. And her fa- when I say giant, her family was 17 children. Oh, that's so amazing. So it wasn't that big, but... And, and that was one family, right, Tony? That, that, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was all one family, yeah. You, oh. you know that one, the one pan that's hanging in my kitchen that I use for big operations? Mm-hmm. Almost as big as that. Okay. But, but cast iron, so about 45 pounds, 50 yeah, pounds. Yeah, serious piece of metal, <laughs> right? That's yeah. cool. It took a, Do you a, have that? You don't have that pan. I don't have that pan. What happened? Do you know what happened? It, it cracked. Oh, that's right a shame. around right that's around age one hundred. It cracked. <laughs> well, that was a that pan did a a big service to a family for a they long got, time. They got, they got a couple some families, but it, anyway, she she would fry her chicken, mm-hmm. and like you know, after breakfast, and would just sit on the back of the range, <laughs> and just warm it up in the oven, and the crust got so perfect. From you know, from, you know what happens after you fry. Like you always have to wait a moment. Oh yeah. For that crust to actually set, right? And for the, for it to <clears throat> steam out all the way. Well, it did that so well that it was incredibly crisp. It was never thick. Mm-hmm. It was not some thick breading sort of situation. Uh, but oh yeah, yeah. She always saved the necks for herself. I always remember that. My mom also likes the necks. Well, she likes everything. She always liked everything. She liked the livers of everything. You know. Yeah, I get that. No, you That's grew nice. up in the country. I mean, your mom grew up in the country. Well, yeah, and they you, grew up during the Great everything. Depression. They needed to, they yeah. ate everything. They didn't have a choice. They didn't have a lot of food. So, yeah, then they grew what they could, and whether it was animals, birds, whatever, or uh, they had a, you know, they always had a garden. Um, my, my grandfather my, was a big gardener. My, my nanny grew up, I mean, she was born 1890. Hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, she was, she was cooking when McKinley was president. She was the oldest girl in the family. So That's so um, cool. Which is pro, but it was always that, and then she always had pickles made that were that was served with that. Uh, there were always fresh biscuits that went with that, so it's kind of. And she did other different things, you know, but th- those are the things that always stick in my head mm-hmm. the biscuits, the pickles, the chicken, and gravy, sure, sometimes, not necessary. Right. The chicken was always perfect, chicken was always moist. And there was always just a pile, <laughs> a pile of chicken bones when uh, my two brothers and I were <laughs> over there. That's so nice. That's a wonderful memory. I, um, what, you know, just uh, quickly, the way that I make mine uh, is I make a basically a buttermilk mixture with flour, buttermilk, and salt and pepper, and the chicken marinates in that. And I don't let it sit in there for more than a couple of hours. And um, I, I fry boneless chicken. So if you're doing bone in, it, you can still do it the same way. Uh, and then it goes into uh, cornmeal, as you said, all-purpose flour. And we put bene seeds in, or what, what we also call sesame seeds, uh, salt and black pepper. 
And um, so it just goes from that sort of slurry, uh, sort of buttermilk flour mixture um, into that breading procedure. And we fry in peanut oil. And um, yeah, it's, I just, I love, uh, that's something I've been making ever since uh, we opened a restaurant in DC. And um, that is uh, probably the most highly requested thing besides my, well, if I, I don't take the oysters off the menu, so I don't have to get requests for that. But um, the chicken is probably the most requested thing that I've ever made. Because I don't make it anymore. Yeah, it's funny that from a from a different world, different background, you make essentially the same kind of fried chicken. The difference is she'd fry hers; it would be Crisco, which was a very convenient product. Sure. And then she'd just go ahead for fun and whatever animal fat she had around. Doing that. <laughs> of course, sure. So, mm-hmm. if if it was pork fat, oh my gosh. Oh, oh, that just yeah. Please, please. So let's let, I want that let's now. Take a, let's take a call and hear some other people's. Okay. Oh, uh, what comforts them. Uh, remember, it's 410-662-8780. And let's go to Joel in Anne Arundel County. Joel, how are you? Hi, Joel. Hey. Hey there. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I was calling. Um, I thought you might be interested in talking a little bit about Southern Maryland or St. Mary's stuffed ham. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I love I, that stuff. I've been ma- yeah, you, oh, you do? You know it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, Let's I, hear I'm, not, I'm not from Maryland originally, but I started making it. Um, I had cousins that grew up in Southern Maryland, and um, my aunt taught me how to do it. And uh, it's um, it's kind of interesting to, you know, I've learned a lot over the years of playing around with it. Um, there were some stories back in the 80s, articles about people getting sick. So I started using the Instapot to cook the, um, the greens. Because you have to put like a large quantity of kale, hot pepper, um, and you know make a you grind it up really finely, and then you stuff it into a corn ham. And then um, so I've been pre-cooking the, that that stuff. It's probably not authentic, but and then you tie it up in cheesecloth, and then I cook it in the oven in a um, stock pot with some water underneath it for um, about four or five hours. Pretty fun. And then you serve it cold as a sandwich is the, what I've come to understand. It seems to work best. And you get these really nice veins of green uh, filling. And it just, you know, when you said you were going to do a show about comfort food, it just made me think of the reaction of whenever there's somebody from Southern Maryland and I serve this, they just love it. You know, it just really, it brings them back and, it's a yeah, it's a really absolutely. intense tradition for a small area. The uh, I've had variations where there are mustard greens, and most often see it um, not in just my experience not in sandwiches, but the entire ham sitting out like on a buffet. You know that stuffed ham, roast turkey, on a holiday, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the other thing I started, you know. For me, I live up, you know, closer to Baltimore, and getting the ham was, you know, I was driving all the way down to Southern Maryland, and finally realized that they're packing them in Baltimore at Mangers. Um, <laughs> 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 so I've been going to Mangers to get it, get the ham, and that's kind of fun. You know, it's a old family tradition for Baltimore area. So yeah, where where anyway. is that? Where is that Mangers? Mangers is like. Uh, trying to remember the street but it's in southern side of the city okay. i can email you the address but but okay. they make um 
they make the half smokes for Ben's Chili Bowl, or at least they, they have been making them. So it's another whole tradition <laughs> for the That's area. Great. It's well, funny thanks, that you brought that up. I was just reading about that in a magazine that's uh, published in Charleston, South Carolina. And they were talking about, I'm going to go look at it when we have a break. They were talking about a, a producer. It's a, I believe it's a grocery store on the, uh, is it the Eastern Shore, Tony? Where's traditional? Or Southern uh, Maryland? Southern, Southern Maryland, Maryland, St. Mary's County. Yeah, I'll find out what that place is called in case anybody is living there or is over there. But they were talking about doing these hams and how they ramp up so much during Thanksgiving and Christmas um, because their volume, their need is so high, but they always have them. So I'm like, oh, next time I'm there, I'm going to go pick one up because I would really like to taste the traditional version. They've been making them for many, many years. Thanks for the call, Joel. Uh, yeah, thanks, Joel. Yeah, thank you. Have a good Sunday. <clears throat> well, yes, we got more callers and more emails. I wonder, some people, you know, they get, like when I was a kid, there would be people who had, were not either from the area or not exposed to it or didn't have a relative from Southern Maryland, and and they would, oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> my father's mom is from uh, Leonardtown down there, so that's not an unfamiliar thing. So let's uh, let's get George in before we take a break, real quick. George, how are you? Hey, George. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm great. I hope you all are well. Um, this brings okay. this comfort food thing hit me, um, especially in this cold weather. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. My father was of Eastern European extraction from one of the mill towns on the Monongahela Valley. And one of the things that I just love this time of year for comfort food are pierogies. The pierogies have to be, you know, have a lot of butter and sautéed onions cooked down, almost caramelized, and you put those on the pierogies. We usually boil them. Some people like to sauté them in the skillet. And if I feel real foodie, I put a little sour cream on top with some uh, black lumpfish uh, fish roe, and that makes them really tasty. But I'll also add what I made this week, another one of those Eastern European, uh, Pittsburghish things is called halushki. And I made that this week. Halushki is cabbage and onions, again, cooked in butter and sautéed way down. And uh, you make that, and then you put it on egg noodles. Um, I had an overabundance of mushrooms, so I threw some mushrooms in with it, which goes very well with it. That sounds good. And I'm now a pescatarian. I don't eat meat, but I had some vegan kibasi, kibasa, which is the uh, sausage that we always ate with it growing up as a kid. So some Eastern European, Pennsylvania comfort foods for cold That's weather. Great. That's great. That's great. Thank George. you so much. Thanks That's for calling. That's so wonderful. And you can join the conversation. It's 410-662-8780. Tell us about what, when you hear comfort food, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? And, uh, and yeah, I think it's interesting, Send. It's, it's very driven by where you grew up or family mm -hmm. background. And that's a very interesting thing that we get to share in this country that maybe doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah. So we'll be back on Formula Wolf on Food & Wine on WYPR just shortly. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today. We're taking your calls. Join the conversation about comfort food. 
410-662-8780. And uh, yeah, we uh, already interesting callers. I thought that Great. we might hear some, some stories. Uh, we have a couple of emails as well. You can email us, foremanwolf at wipr.org. And one is um, from Stephen. I wanted to write about two things that were mentioned in last week's show. One was French onion soup, which I had planned on making that Sunday night. On that cold night when I added a little Pinot Noir, the onions turned purple, and I got the most distinctively wonderful aroma while deglazing the bottom of the pan. I knew then that I'd be enjoying a great soup that night. My questions about the soup are, one, is there a kind of wine you like to use for the soup? And two, do you have a favorite cheese you like to melt on top? We use Gouda, not exactly what you'd think, but delicious anyway. So the second thing I heard was Tony talking about regional comfort foods and mentioning jokingly, I think, I, I was joking, no, but not really. I love it. Because I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love Cincinnati well, chili. Cincinnati chili. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have been in Baltimore for over 25 years. We grew up in Cincinnati, <laughs> and we have good recipes for both crab cakes and Cincinnati chili. Pre-pandemic, I used to make the chili for a host of family, friends, and neighbors who would join us at Halloween just when the weather is getting colder and something like that goes down well. People like to make up stories about special ingredients in Cincinnati chili that make it unique, like chocolate or cola. But in my view, the thing that really gives Cincinnati chili that unique aroma is heavy reliance on cumin. When I open a jar of cumin, my mind goes right back to the smell of a chili parlor back in my hometown. This is from Stephen. I love that. We use Gruyere and Reggiano on our French onion soup. And I think that's pretty traditional. And as far as red wine goes in the soup, we use uh, a wine called La Vie Ferme, which is what we cook with. Um, it, unless yeah, I specifically a, a, a say I'm using... essentially. Right. Unless I say I'm specifically using Barolo or something like that, that's what I'm using. Um, and uh, the Gouda sounds good, though. I think that's a lot of fun. And yeah, for sure. I mean, I went to high school with a kid that... Um, Ended up living in Cincinnati with his sister right after high school, and he worked at Skylines or Scalini's, however it is you say it. And Skyline, um, Skylines. <laughs> Come and on, Cindy. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I always thought it was Scalini's. Um, I only I've only been there once. I went there my my senior year of high school. We uh, went down to Florida for spring break from Indiana, and we my my best friend's brother was going to University of Cincinnati, so we stopped to visit him. And that's the only time I've ever been there. But I will never forget eating that chili. And uh, loving every minute of it, and so when my best, my one of my friends from school went to went to live there, he uh, actually worked there, and he gave me the recipe. Um, and I have no idea where that recipe is, but <laughs> gosh, I wish I knew. I may it. have to call him. <laughs> that sounds like a, a solid family meal option. Send. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you you remember a couple of years? Uh, gosh, some maybe fifteen years ago. Um, your your friend and my friend Peter. Peter, my mutual friend, Carl, moved to Cincinnati from Baltimore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he had a lot of wine that had to be moved. Right. And he didn't know what to do with it, how to get it done. And so Peter and I volunteered. <laughs> I mean, I say this in, in a slightly manipulative way. We volunteered to bring him all of his wine and put it in his cellar. So I rented a truck and picked up Peter that morning early. And we loaded all the wine in. There was a ton, and drove from Baltimore to Cincinnati on that Saturday. That's so crazy. 
<laughs> loaded all the wine into his house. It. it was a long drive. Mm-hmm. We definitely stopped for like three coffees for Peter and a couple of beef jerky in a truck stop. Uh, I was driving. He was sleeping. <laughs> we we got to Carl's. The, the, the price for the move of the wine was to go to a Ravens-Bengals game in a box <laughs> where, of course, at that time, the Ravens just crushed them oh, wow. and to go to dinner that night. But in between pretty much every meal and at every chance, six different times we stopped and had Cincinnati what? chili. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> it was almost like a contest. That's awesome. Because Peter grew up in Cincinnati, so yeah. he wanted to go to all the places. That's yummy. I love it. I want some right now. <laughs> Let's Oof. talk to uh, Andrew in Baltimore. Andrew, how are you? Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Great. Good. So what's your comfort? Um, there's this dish we make. I'm from originally from um, Florida, South Florida, Miami. And there's a Cuban dish we make called the pastelon. It's called the pastel pantano maduro. It's like a Cuban lasagna. It's really mm-hmm. rich. It's made with um, very ripe plantains. Um, the traditional style of um, lasagna, how you would usually make it, but the base is usually the sofrito. But it's very delicious, very rich, made with fresh um, herbs, fresh cheese. It's a really good dish, and they usually make it during the holidays because it takes so much time to make. That sounds just that, awesome. Yeah, that sounds delicious. <laughs> did you? Did your mom make it? Your dad? You know, they both did. My mom is Dominican. My dad's Cuban. So they both did a spin on it. And I'm going to not lie. I like the Dominican version much better. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, so the plantains were uh, took the place of the pasta? Is that how it works? Yeah. And, we, you know, okay. most of the Cuban and Dominican food is really Italian food. You know, we're Columbus, of course. He's Italian. So we just replaced the pasta with rice in most of our dishes that have it. Like abodegas, our meatballs. They just we eat it with rice instead of the pasta. Okay. Very good. That's awesome. So have you made it your own way? Mm -hmm. Um, I have made it my own way because I have met friends, you know, moving around up north. So I have made it my own way. I have some Italian friends, my friend Steve. So I now use the fresh tomatoes and crush them down. Mine Mm -hmm. is a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you. And sounds super tasty. Yeah. (laughs) Spicy? All right, guys. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. That sounds just great. I've not had that dish. That sounds Me great. Either. Delish. I have to put it on my list. Uh, try you know, that. The, in the wintertime, I I try to get a little bit of sun down there for a day or two. So that's going to have to be Go on the list. Dish. Or I have to look up a recipe and just make it. Mm-hmm. So what else is on your list, Send? And you can join the conversation, 410-662-8780. What else? What is, what is your favorite sandwich? Oh, uh, okay. So I have I know, a couple. I know what it is. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. Well, I have a new favorite sandwich. Oh, so, it's not It's not a BLT? I do love BLTs. I do, I, I do, I do. That's another thing my mom used to make for me at lunch when I was a little girl. So, And my mom loves them, obviously, which is why she made them. <laughs> oh, I love a BLT. Um, I now make avocado um, uh turkey that's been roasted not with anything on it just plain roasted turkey good roasted turkey and um thinly sliced and um uh mozzarella well yeah mozzarella whatever kind of wonderful grated cheese you know you nice melting cheese you have in your refrigerator and some really nice fresh bread 
Um, I like the Tuscan style bread that's uh, Italian bread that's got a little bit of holes in it and it's it's got a nice crust, but the interior's, you know, interesting and tasty, but a little softer. It makes a great sandwich and I just I saute all that in butter and pop it in the oven and warm it. I mean that's that's not mind blowing, but I will tell you it's delicious. So, you know, you always say I don't like sandwiches. I actually do. Um I started making that one a front I know. Uh, I started making that when a friend uh, of uh, someone that worked for me actually was staying in my house. And um, so I was actually having food, more food in my home than normal because I don't, you know, when you live by yourself, you don't need a lot. And when you work all the time, you definitely don't need a lot. And when you work in a restaurant, you especially don't need a lot of food in your refrigerator. And so that was one of the things because he loved avocado. So that was one of the things I would make when he was here. And then um, I love, I love barbecue. So that's if I had to say what my other favorite sandwich would be other than, you know, and I did grow up in North Carolina, which is obviously famous for its barbecue. When I grew up in Rocky Mount, which is very close to Wilson, which is got I forget what that place is called. um, But there's some famous barbecue joints in Wilson. And um, my that was a a trek that we would make um, when I was little uh, after church, which was rare, actually, because my mother always made a very serious meal after church on Sunday. But every now and then, I think that might have come from Bob Wolf. Um, you know, <laughs> hey Gene, let's let's uh, hey let's get some barbecue after church today. So I remember those trips were very special and a whole lot of fun. Well, that's we we have our own excellent barbecue joint in town. Oh, yes, we do. That's uh, and, it's lo- a, and it's a Memphis style. And Andy I Nelson's love their barbecue out in Cockeysville. Yeah, it's I'm going to say it, it's Andy Nelson's. It it is my favorite 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 barbecue actually I've ever had in my life. Um it, better than anything I remember having in North Carolina. I mean, they just they their smoke process is perfection and um their product is perfect. And their Bama sauce, oh my goodness, I love the Alabama sauce. Oh, so so good. If I'm I'm curious if if we have a caller who has an opinion about barbecue from a different part of the country. Yeah. Uh just because like I went to college in Texas, and they thought it was a whole different thing. Okay, you know it's a, a dry rub beef, which, you know, from most of the South, it's like that's not a pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know we've been to Savannah. We took that trip to Savannah before we opened Savannah, and um, that barbecue was very different. I'd never I'd been to Savannah, but I'd never had barbecue when I was oh, there. Oh, that was tangy that and was fabulous. That was delicious. Yeah, I like that very much. That was, the name of that place was Walls. Oh, I wonder if it's still open, man. That I place will, is. Yeah, if you go to Savannah, go to Walls if it's still there. If it, and get if some it barbecue. still exists. So we, we were waiting for them to open, and uh, I recall <laughs> I'm sitting until comfort food, store, food around, comfort food stories or stories around comfort food. I recall waiting for them to open, going into a liquor store to get something to have with a barbecue. Right. And they had a ping pong table. And while we're waiting for them to open, Peter Keck and I played ping pong for a while and drank beers in the store. That was so great. I mean, that's, that place was tr- so Southern, you know, like it had the screen door that slammed when you walked in. I mean, it was, that place could not have been more Southern. Uh, it was just too much fun. Well, and that was a trip that we had the Madeira, right? Madeira out in the courtyard at the wherever we were staying, oh, yeah. uh, under the the live oak trees with a Spanish moss hanging off of them. And I mean, you guys were smoking cigars and drinking Madeira. And after that, Someone I think that was the to. night after the barbecue. Wow, that was good. Well, and that's the place that has Ms. Wilkes Boarding House, which we may not have talked about in a while, but I don't know if that's still open. I hope it is. Um, but that I'll never forget watching you guys sit there and eat. And Tim Walker eating more food than I've ever seen. Well, frankly, you and Peter Keck. Peter, Peter Keck is little. 
you know, it's the gamut. You've got Peter Kak, who's skinny and short, and you, who's not, and then Tim Walker, who was a big, big, big man. Huge, actually. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he was my sous chef. And, um, man, you guys, I've never seen anybody eat so much food in all my life. And that was oh, family Pete, style. Pete, Pete, Pete and I took him down. There's no... <laughs> he, he, took kn- down. he knew it, too. <laughs> Look, I love the fact that you took your dishes back to the kitchen there yourself for oh, washing. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't have to wash them, but you took them back just like you would to your house. Well, tell us, tell us about your comfort food, um, where it comes from, why it makes you happy, uh, who used to make it for you or who still makes it for you, and do you make it? It's 410-662-8780 or email us, foremanwolf at wypr.org. And I've got Hey, Tony, email. one sec. So yes. apparently Deborah called in or emailed or something and said it, asked me if I was talking about Parker's in Wilson, North Carolina. And that is exactly right. That is exactly what that place was called. Thank oh, you, that's Deborah. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, Parker's. That's awesome. Yum. Um, thank you. We've got one uh, last week. Hi, Cindy. Last week you talked about growing up loving the lamb stew your mother made. Mm-hmm. I've tried it several times and it always seems so greasy. Any suggestions? I've tried using lamb shoulder and lamb stew meat. Should I switch to leg? I, I think, you know, lamb has, gosh, the fat on lamb is like pork. It's just so delicious. But, you know, yeah, you don't want it to be uh, fatty. But what happens is is when you're, when you're slow cooking something, um, when you're braising something, you want something to be tender, you should be on low heat. And as that um, cooks, and you're cooking for a long period of time, so the fat's going to rise to the top, just degrease it. I mean, it's going to be there. It creates flavor. Um, you don't want a whole lot of it, of course, but definitely just use a ladle and degrease the top of that pot. Um, one of the things they taught us in culinary school is very simple thing. You just, um, if you're really trying, if, if, if your stock or whatever you're cooking in is really throwing off a lot of stuff, whether it's scum, um, which is, again, dried blood rising to the top of a liquid um, in the form of what looks like scum um, or fat will rise to the top as well. Um, just uh, off-center your pot on the burner. And that will throw it all off to one side. And that makes it easier if you're not used to uh, ladling and degreasing a, a, a liquid. It, it really will help because it pushes it off to one area and then you will lose less of your broth. Um, and then you can practice and then you won't have to do it anymore. And that's a, that's a good, little, good little tip there. But yeah, just degrease. I think the cuts of meat she was using were fantastic. There should be nothing wrong with using those oh, cuts yeah. of meat. That's yeah, that's shoulder and neck yeah. would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she's got the right idea. Just so we, remove the fat yourself. That's it. And we've got an email on something that for an event coming up, Super Bowl Day, uh, from Bill G. A gumbo. It's a Super, Do- Super Bowl Yay. Day must. <laughs> so what's your favorite gumbo? Well, that was the top of my list to talk about today for me, for comfort food. Um, That's to, to, to watch a, hopefully a compelling football game, to have a bowl full of something happy to eat. Oof. I'm you know, that, that, that just a bowl and a spoon and a good so, game. So filet powder is sassafras, all right? And filet powder is very traditional to gumbo. I mean, if you don't have filet powder in it, you're not making gumbo, basically. Of course, we can all do things however we want, ultimately. But if you want to make a traditional gumbo, you would typically, depending on what you're making, would have a roux. And if it's a, a dark meat, you would have a dark roux, which takes a long time to make. You actually have to, it's butter and flour used as a thickening agent in equal parts. 
And it, to make a dark roux takes about 45 minutes in a very low oven. You start it off on the stove, pop it in your oven. And you have to keep a very close eye on it. When I say low heat, I'm saying about 250 degrees. And do not have convected air in there. You want that oven to be still, quiet, and just keep an eye on it. And um, roux should look like wet sand at low tide. So that's what your consistency is that you're looking for. The color can go all the way to a gorgeous, rich brown. And um, that just creates a nutty flavor, which is one of the reasons why it's so incredible in, say, a duck gumbo. So when I make duck gumbo, I roast the duck and I pull the meat um, off the bone. You want it to be very tender. And um, there are two different ways I make it. So I will make an andouille sausage gumbo. So I'll do the onions, peppers, and poblanos are not traditional in the South. They'll use a green bell. I do not. I will tell you right now, I do not like bell peppers. And um, so I use a poblano because I prefer that flavor very, very much. So lots of onion, um, a nice amount of peppers, a little bit of celery, I put shallots in because I like it. A little butter poached garlic. I prefer not to saute garlic. I almost never saute garlic anymore. I almost always butter poach it because it just comes off so much more beautifully. Um, Lots and lots. So if you can either do like a small dice of andouille sausage, you could do bias cut slices of andouille. Um, If you have a pork stock, you have a chicken and veal stock, you have preferably a duck stock, which if you're buying whole birds, you can make stock from the, you know, the moment you uh, roast those birds, make run a stock with it. That way you can make your gumbo with your duck stock. A little pork stock in there would be a nice combination as well. Um, and then you, th- you bring that all up, you thicken it with the roux. You, oh, I'm sorry, and you add the filet powder. Actually, I like to add the filet powder a little bit once the vegetables are almost finished. Um, I like to add the filet powder And you can actually add the roux at that point. You can always add the roux. I've seen it done many different ways. You can add the roux to the vegetables right before you add the liquid. Or in traditional French cooking, you would add the the stock and then you would bring it up to a boil and then you would add the roux. I I like to do it both ways. Uh, But that filet powder is super important. And then if you like spice, maybe you're putting in Tabasco, which is, of course, made in Louisiana, um, or whatever hot sauce you like. Uh, and if you are using already roasted, tender, picked, pulled duck, you can add that at the end um, because really you're getting your flavor from your andouille sausage. If you're using raw duck and braising it, that should your 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 procedure is different. You would cut break down the duck, you would sear off the pieces of meat, you would add your andouille, your your vegetables, um, add your stock, your filet powder, and add your roux and let it cook until everything's nice and tender. Now, okra. You can add okra with the vegetables. That's traditional. That's also going to give you some thickening. And I have to admit, I hate okra. I'm sorry, but I do. Oh. Uh, I know you love it. So um, if I'm making a traditional gumbo, I am adding the okra from the beginning and it's cooking. If I really am going, if I'm going to be eating it, I will saute the okra separately at very high heat, um, which will keep some of that sort of melucinogenous, if that's the right word, um, uh, activity from happening as much You're as it, genius. Thank yeah. you. Um, as quite <laughs> as much of that happening. Um, or my favorite way is I actually like fried okra. So oh, yeah. um, I have been known to make it without the okra in it and garnish it with fried okra, which quite frankly, I, I do like fried okra. I just don't like mm. it sauteed or boiled. I'll, I'll take it any way you want to make it. Yeah. All right. Especially when it's fresh and that makes a big difference. Uh, for me to like it, it's got to be very, very fresh. Let's take a quick break. Yeah. Thanks for the gumbo, the gumbo details. 
We've got a bunch of callers to get to. Okay. Uh, you can join us, 410-662-8780. Email us, foremanwolf at WIPR. We're talking about comfort food, what's comforting to you, what simple food makes you happy. On Foreman Wolf on Food Mine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And somewhere in the net, <laughs> there is uh, Cindy Wolf. And Chef Cindy Wolf. I'm here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can imitate your voice. I can try. No, thank you. And that little sparkling laugh that you have. I was you know. coughing away over here, so, you know, yeah. I had to mute myself. <laughs> you stopped smoking cigars, Chef. Oh, they're so good, though. Yes, they are. <laughs> Well, callers, we're live Tony. Very callers, callers, callers. Very, let's go, very baby. Very obviously, we're live today. You can join us, 410-662-8780. We try to run through some calls here in this segment. Uh, we're all talking comfort food. And you can email us as well, foremanwolf at wypr.org. Let's go to Sue in Walkersville. Sue, how are you? Hi, Sue. I am wonderful. How are you? Good. Ready. Hey, I, I love your show. I listen to it, like, on Sunday. I just love it, so... Thank but my you. comfort Thank you. my comfort food the first thing that pops into my mind is cheese dreams. Mm. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't know dreams? if you've ever had a cheese dream, but I grew up in central <laughs> Wisconsin and a well, cheese of course dream you did. <laughs> has to be made with cheddar cheese and okay. then it's uh you take like french toast batter and you grill it basically top and bottom like a sandwich with the cheese in the middle and then you serve it with real maple syrup and it is the best so instead of the bread you're taking well you use pe- bread but okay. you you like you know what you would bake french toast with like a, a milk and egg you know uh, batter yeah. of sorts and soak it but in the, in the middle you put slices of cheddar cheese so it's like a sandwich like like that's a grilled amazing cheese, but, it's, but it's not grilled um like a grilled cheese with just butter it's got the uh, french toast batter in it and then you know you flip it and then you serve it warm with um warm real maple syrup and it is the best and it is such a great comfort food for me <sighs> what what does one drink with cheese dreams question i guess when we were little it would have been milk <laughs> growing mm, it up yum. in central wisconsin mm-hmm. um good question though i don't know if you would pair that with beer or wine quite frankly but um maybe an eggnog would be good yes. i will admit my, my my instinct <laughs> that's great my instinct about that that sounds to me like if you've had a big night and you want to be happy the next morning and maybe not move around too much <laughs> maybe 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 that, and just not not a heavy beer. Maybe get you through that morning. Ah, well, you know, growing up in Central Wisconsin, beer was pretty big. So, okay. all right, <laughs> you know. all right. I like well, Wisconsin thanks. more and more all the time. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Have a good summer. You're welcome. Let's go to Diane in Baltimore. Diane, how are you? Hey, Diane. Hi. Fine. Thank you. 
So, what's your comfort? I'll go lemon o soup. Uh, I love that so much. Yes, it is delicious. Um, my father's family was from Greece, so I grew up making it. Um, my mother was not Greek, but she had to learn to make it. And uh, my <laughs> yaya taught us, and my dad, and I still make it, of course. So, it's, it's, it's delicious. What, what, say the name of it again, please. It, 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 I'm sorry. It's called avgo lemon. In Greek, it means egg and lemon soup. Oh, now, yum. Or you could just call Greek chicken soup. Egg and lemon. Um, and a lot of folks, when I like serve it to friends who aren't Greek, they're kind of like, uh, they don't get it's 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 difficult for the egg and lemon, but it's also the same um, sauce that they put on top of the tamales, the um, the, the wrapped grape leaves. Yeah. You, you have that sauce on it. It's it's the same. It's the same. It's it's really eggs and lemons. Um, and you just, I of course use a fresh chicken stock. I've made it before with vegetarian stock actually, and then not put the chicken in. It's quite delicious. Um, but I make it of course with the fresh stock because there's nothing like fresh stock. Right. And you could no. put some Greeks put cloves in the stock. Um, uh, you just use like three cloves for say an eight quart pot, and then um, you could also use garlic if you want. And I put I only put about three garlic cloves, and I don't even bother mincing them. I put fresh cloves, and they they basically dissolve when you boil down the stock. Do you whisk the eggs into the stock? Is that how you make it? No. Oh, Isn't okay. That a trick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us. The secret is temper. Okay. You temper the so, eggs and also temperature. Okay, because people argue with me like you mean just temper the no no. It's temperature and temper. So what you do is while the stock is boiling down, um, and I, you're supposed to use like six eggs, six lemons. It's supposed to be equal, but I tend to do seven lemons because I like mine really lemony. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually beat your eggs, and I use whole eggs. Some people will use only egg whites, but I really like the whole eggs. And you just beat them down, the eggs, in a separate bowl. And then you um, squeeze your lemons and you add the lemon juice to the eggs, beating it, of course. And the big secret is to let the broth cool down so it's room temperature. You don't want to put this into a boiling uh, broth. Right, right. Um, of course, separate. you've removed your chicken by then. Mm-hmm. And you uh, let it cool down. Then you take some of the cool down broth and temper the eggs with it, of course, stirring the whole time. Then you take that mixture and add it to your broth, and, you know, you keep it from curdling by stirring it um, as much as you can. And then you can add your rice. Some Greeks use orzo. I was raised on using white rice. I've made it with brown rice as well. I like it both ways. And then um, you um, add your, you pick your chicken, add your fresh chicken meat in there, and it's good to go. Delicious. Mm. Cook it about another 10 minutes, and there you have it. I'm going to make that. That sounds oh. so good. I love it's that. It's delicious, and you can freeze it. It's it just as good the next day. Oh, and I forgot, very important, black pepper. Got to put your yeah. black pepper in there. Oh, sure. my. That lemon and the black pepper, you can't beat it. Right. I'm with you. You can end for medicinal, like if you have a cold, you know how people say chicken soup is good. You add extra garlic, extra black pepper. It's amazing. That sounds so, so good. Well, thanks, Diane. Thank you, thank you, Dan. I have a very, very funny story real fast about this soup. So um, my, I was a teenager, like, you know, 17, 16, whatever. I was being snarky, and I was making my soup, and my father was like, oh, great, you're making up the limo. And I said, you can't have any. I'm eating this all week. I'm on a 
diet. You can't have any soup. You can only have one bowl. And my dad, he was he was a very, very good guy, just a sweet man. And he said, okay. So I, I go into the dining room after I've made the soup. I go in the dining room, and there's my dad sitting there with the hugest mixing bowl you could possibly <laughs> find. Hand over the fruit with soup. And he says, you said I could only have one bowl. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wonderful Thank story. You. Have a great day. Thank you. That's great. I love Avgalemno soup. Let's go to, uh, I've got an email real quick. Uh, this is from Terry. Uh, roast pork with sauerkraut, mashed potatoes, and applesauce. Grandmother yes. from York, Pennsylvania made this dish. Aww. The pork roast was cooked long and low and slow with the sauerkraut served on top of mashed potatoes with applesauce on the side. Exactly, me too. I thought that That's would make That's how you my happy. grandmother did it. Yay. I thought that'd make you happy. Let's yes. let's well, talk to awesome. we have a we have a caller, nice. Stovetop. Stovetop, good afternoon. Hey Stovetop. Hi, how are you? Nice good. to talk to you. And uh, and Tony, I, I can do my impression of you. I, I will try to do my impression. You talked about this in the beginning. I will try to do my best. But anyway, my um <laughs> my recipe is a um it's a homemade um bean and hummus wrap. Um so what I will do is I will make my own homemade hummus. So that's with chickpeas, olive oil, salt and pepper, lemon, garlic, and onion. And I'll make that in a food processor. And then with this homemade hummus, what I will do is I'll get a tortilla and I'll coat the entire tortilla with the homemade hummus and, um, and put that on top. And then alongside of that, I will get a can of chickpeas and... I will make the chickpeas, warm them, and then rinse them, and then put them onto this tortilla. And then with that, um, while that's cooking alongside, I will cut up pepperoncinis and slice them and wash them. And then I'll add some um, feta cheese and maybe some cheddar and some baby tomatoes and possibly some cured meat, like, um, um, like maybe like a small amount of, pepperoni or maybe uh, prosciutto and then uh, maybe squeeze some lemons and then uh, lemon and then I will heat that and then wrap it and then throw that onto the grill onto a stove and grill it and it, it looks like a, like a small baby like it's wrapped up stovetop's famous small baby <laughs> and such a healthy one. It's yeah. nice to hear some healthy, you know, that's good to, that you shared healthy yeah. food. I mean, the pepperoni kind of lost me on the health part, but oh, um, a little pepperoni never hurt anybody. Well, thanks, Stovetop. Thank that's you. That's great. Thank you so much, Stovetop. That's great. I've got one last quick email. I've got to read from Karen. My favorite comfort food is pot roast. My mom would make it all the time, and I just love it. It makes you remember all the wonderful times I had growing up. In fact, I'm having people over Tuesday for a pot roast supper as we're all of that age. And we've been talking about pot roast for a long time. I can't wait. Sounds good. That's great. Thanks, Karen. Well, I think we are wrapped and Mm -hmm. I feel comforted. Yes, that was fun. If you want to download this show or any one of our other programs, go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Uh, and on that fine site, you can find a Foreman Wolf page on which you'll find a menu of all the programs that, that we have done, I think, except for hopefully the embarrassing ones. 
<laughs> you can email us, foremanwolf at wypr.org on any of these topics. You can follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. As Chef Wolf on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, my Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday.